Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and as it is custom, we are at you again with another new episode. It's been um, a very, very long streak with no breaks, no interruptions, a Friday episode every week for goodness the last uh, three years now, and we're not slowing down anytime soon. We still have a lot of the Gospel of Matthew yet to cover. And then from there, like I said, I think last week we're going to go and do the Book of Acts. I think that'll be a pretty interesting um, uh, view of the early church. And we're going to look at some of the theology that uh, is formulated in the Book of Acts. And we will um, you know, work through uh, how those still impact us today. So I'm pretty excited about that. But... Until I can get really excited, we have to finish the Gospel of Matthew, which I am looking forward to because there's a lot of good material coming up. And uh, we might get to some juicy meat here in a few months when we get to the Olivet Discourse, and we'll probably spend a little bit of time talking about that. I don't know if we'll spend more than a few episodes, but we'll we'll do our due diligence and we'll talk a little bit about it. In fact, I had finished uh, writing my book. And I'm working through the rough draft on it right now to go back through and edit and make any adjustments or changes, reread it and make sure it flows well. And uh, hopefully I'll be done with that in a week or two here. And then I'm going to submit it up to uh, a potential publisher and have a published copy. So uh, as soon as I know more, uh, we'll have those uh, available and we'll probably put a link on Amazon and uh, that'll be in my bio. And if you really interested and you don't have Instagram, then you can hit me up uh, via email on dynelightministries at gmail.com and I will provide you a, a, a link or a way to get it. Probably just be able to search it too. I have not titled it yet. I'm still kind of working through some of the things um, on that, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited for it and I think it might be a potentially good book for many people to just pick up, read. It's very easy to read. There's nothing overly complex. I am very thorough in my explanation in a lot of things uh, because I want it to be 
uh, not such a academical challenge. Now, there's great books out there, and I have a ton of them in my library that are geared towards the academics, that are geared towards the um, the, the theologian men, you know, mindset, and they're great, but they are challenging to read, and they're not for the average layperson. Uh, this book that I've written is very much a layperson read. It is very, very easy. There's, you know, like I said, uh, I follow through, and I'm very thorough with all that. So... I have some ideas for a next book, but I got to get this one finished and a few other projects that I'm working on completed before I start that endeavor. But hopefully within a couple of years, I'll be working on my second theology book. So uh, this week in our journey through Matthew, we're going to look at the faith of a Canaanite woman. And this will be in chapter 15, beginning with the 21st verse. As I mentioned last week, we might uh, include verses 29 through 31 as just uh, supplementary here to it. Uh, and then next week, we'll finish off with the feeding on the 4,000. And then we move on to chapter 16. So here we go. Verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and the disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered him, answered her, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. So that's one of the stories. Let's go ahead and read 29 through 31 real quick here. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, and the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd was wandered when they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seen, and they glorified the God of Israel. All right, so that is our text that we're going to work through today. We're going to primarily focus on the Canaanite woman. Um, 29 through 31 really is more just a kind of a summary or, you know, another kind of viewing of the work that Jesus is doing. There's no uh, words that he speaks. Nobody is speaking directly to him that is recorded here. It is merely just um, kind of a, a, an update, if you would. Jesus has gone on now. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He's going to heal a bunch of people. And those people repent because they are uh, wandered. They are you know, magnified. Uh, mesmerized, if you would, by this miracle, and they begin to glorify the God of Israel. So it's a great little section because it shows these people's uh, repentance, and it shows the fact that they are believing and glorifying God of Israel. We don't see that often in the healing text. So that is really how we would summarize that. But let's focus on uh, the Canaanite woman, and uh, we will kind of spend, like I said, most of our time here which I don't see is to be a problem. It's a great text to deal with. Uh, in fact, 
Uh, I preached a sermon on it a few weeks ago, and probably one of my most favorite sermons. I was I, I just really enjoyed writing it, and I really enjoyed giving the the sermon. So. Uh, let's begin here in verse 21. Uh, he's withdrawing, which is uh, one of the only few times that you'll see Jesus ventured beyond the borders of Galilee. Uh, he's up in the northern part of Israel now near Tyre and Sidon. Uh, the Canaanite woman is a descendant of an Old Testament race, the Canaanites. Uh, Israel was actually ordered to exterminate the Canaanites due to their idol worship. Uh, this comes to us from Deuteronomy 20. 17. So this woman is a descendant and it shows Israel's inability to follow with what God has commanded them to do. They were ordered to exterminate these people. And we see that uh, a few times in the Old Testament, especially uh, before the formation of the nation of Israel in the promised land. In fact, we will see a lot of it come early in the time of Moses and into Joshua's time. And a lot of that is basically because God is, one, preparing the land for the Israelites to come into, and two, raining judgment upon these people who were pagan and, and hated Israel or hated God or did things that were evil and sinful. Uh, very similar to how the flood happened. God saw the evil and wickedness amongst men and calls Noah to build an ark. Uh, back even with Abraham and Lot, with Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, all of these instances, these people are wicked and evil. And so the Canaanites were a group of enemies to Israel. They were, uh, they, they were, they hated each other. And, and it really shows here in the text where Jesus is, you know, making this kind of separation between Israel and the Canaanites. And uh, so this woman is a descendant, you know, obviously she, we, we don't know her, her background. We don't really know anything beyond her heritage, uh, in that she has a daughter. We don't know she's married. We don't know anything beyond that. Uh, all we know, she's a descendant, and she was viewed very, very lowly by the Israelites. They did not care for the Canaanites at all. Uh, in fact, again, some of the slang terms used would be to call them dogs. Um, and so we will unpack that as a precursor to it, though. Jesus does not directly call her a dog. So I want to make that very clear. This is not a text where you can uh, elevate it and make it seem like Jesus is being derogatory towards this woman. He is not. Uh, so we'll get to there in a moment. But she comes out of, the, out of nowhere uh, and is crying, uh, Lord, have mercy on me. I like how the text in verse 22 says, and behold, uh, when I did that, the sermon, I, made, I really exclaimed at that point because it's like, you know, Jesus and his disciples are just walking along and then, bam, behold, here's this woman. And she's just like out of nowhere, comes and she's crying. Uh, so I, I just, I like how the text does that. And if you really have a good preacher, they can animate that text even more for us. Um, I try to be animated and it's one of the things I'm working on as a preacher is to be more animated, be more dynamic uh, and involved with reading the text because I think there is there is obviously life in the text, but I also think that there's there's some magic to it when you can really animate it. It becomes real to the people who hear, are hearing it. It becomes visually real to those people. Uh, so we have this woman. She's coming out of the region. She's crying, have mercy on me, O Lord. Uh, this is a typical cry for help in a desperate situation. 
Uh, we'll see that again in chapter 17 and chapter 20. Uh, she gives him the title, uh, Son of David. This is a Gentile woman is addressing Jesus in the same way as did the two Jewish blind men back in chapter 9. But in contrast to the Pharisees who were spiritually blind, she is not. But her daughter, however, is oppressed by a demon. The daughter's ailment is not specified any further. We don't know anything about this demon. We don't know anything about her um, oppression or any symptoms of sorts or anything like that. Just what the text says, and we take that as it is. And so she comes, she recognizes his authority. She recognizes his uh, who he is, and she gives him the title Son of David. And so this Canaanite woman is addressing Jesus uh, in that fashion. And I think it goes to show that while they are, in fact, enemies, the Canaanites and the Israelites, that she has some sort of faith. She has something. She's heard some story to believe this. And we, we'd we also attest that just because she's a Canaanite doesn't mean she's predestined to hell. Uh, just because she's a Canaanite doesn't mean she can't come to repentance. We see that happening with the Assyrians uh, in Nineveh as Jonah goes and preaches to him, a sworn enemy of Israel, and the, they repent. And so those are helpful pieces to this puzzle because it really starts to unpack for us why, one, does Jesus kind of not answer her and then make some sly comments, and two, uh, why does he ultimately end up fulfilling her desires. So he first ignores her. Jesus remains silent in verse 23, uh, makes no response to the women's cry for mercy. The disciples are begging him to help her and so get rid of her. So the disciples want her gone. They, they came to him saying, send her away. She's crying after us. And th again, as they are traveling, they're probably tired and hungry, and it could be close to the end of the day, could be midday, they're, it's probably hot and uncomfortable, and they just simply are over it. They want to they rest, and now they have this woman who's nagging on them, and they just want her to be shooed away. They want her gone and off their, their, their hands, right? So... Jesus actually doesn't respond to her. He answers their cry. So he, he's actually responding to the disciples in verse 24, where he reminds his disciples his entire mission. I was sent only to the lost sheep in the house of Israel. And we should be aware that this was the original intended purpose of Jesus, being a Jew himself, coming to help reconcile and save Israel from their sins. And it's not until later in Matthew that we see the Great Commission take place and the unfolding of God's greater plan. Now, that's not to say that God is changing his mind or doing anything of that sort. Really what it means is that the initial purpose of Christ was to preach to Israel. And then when they rejected him, he then takes that and goes out to the world. It's not a plan B, it's just a staging of movement. You know, it starts here, goes there, and moves on forward. So Jesus' first response is not at the woman, it is at his disciples. And this is where he tells them, I've only been sent to the lost sheep. And then she comes and kneels before him. Remember, he's ignored her already and has only responded to the disciples. He's not said anything to her, nor has he 
uh, answered her or anything of that sort yet. So she simply is saying, Lord, help me. Again, no communication between Jesus and her directly yet. He has spoken to the disciples, and then he turns and answers her. And he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So this is the one part of verse 26 that everybody gets all bent out of shape over. And a lot of people will say, well, they accuse Jesus of actually um, calling her a dog, which obviously is a tremendous insult for any person to call another woman or a woman a dog. And so what we have to understand is the, the usage of the language and how Jesus is speaking and also understand kind of the cultural context surrounding this statement. Jesus here in verse 26 answers this woman, the mother, with a pithy statement expressing a general truth or perhaps a rule of conduct. Because of the prohibitable nature of his statement, he may not actually be calling her a dog. Now, Mark has a, a similar instance, so let us look at what Mark has recorded here. And that would be in Mark 7, verse 27. His response to this woman is surprising on at least two counts. First, he implies that she's a dog, which obviously is that great insult. But second, he suggests that he would serve the Jewish people first, the children at the table, and then the dogs would be a derivative form referring to family pets, not wild or street dogs. And so it's the children first, the Israel, that would get this, um, you know, the, the workings of Christ first, and then Jesus would go to the other people. So don't think that he's directly calling her a dog. Yes, it looks like that on the surface if you just read through it, but we have to understand that he's applying more of an allegory to the situation. The children of Israel, or the children here at the table receiving the bread is Jesus is the Israelites, the children receiving the bread which is Jesus Christ. And he is saying that it is not right for him to disregard his first obligation which is to go to the house of Israel. It is not right for him to disregard that for other people. Now, as I mentioned, culturally, you know, the Israelites and the Canaanites hated each other. The Israelites looked down upon the Canaanites and considered them to be subhuman, if not even lower than that. And so it would not have been out of the ordinary for a Jewish person to treat a Canaanite with, dis, you know, within this type of manner. But we should be very careful to assign this to Christ saying that he's just acting in accordance to his culture because he's not. He's using an, an analogy to make a statement about his purpose and who he is here to serve, which is obviously the children of Israel. Uh, but it's interesting, the response here that she has, she, she grabs onto this. She takes a hold of that and she says, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So the master's table being Jesus's table, the children dropping the crumbs, and the dogs being the other nations coming in and scooping that up. And this is kind of where you start to see a little bit of that splintering, if you would, from the nation of Israel out to the Gentile world, where Jesus goes out and actively will preach to the whole world through his disciples after his death and resurrection. So 
that is again these are these are just a few times when Jesus interacts with uh, people who are not of Jewish heritage and this is one of those passages where we see uh, somebody confront him and really is persistent this woman is is not going to go home until her daughter is healed she is she is digging in for a fight and by that I mean, she, she's not going to take no for an answer. She is going to stand her ground and keep going after because she knows who Jesus is. She's made that very clear, calling him the son of David, calling him Lord. She is persistent, and she is going to fight for her daughter. And what Jesus says here in verse 28 really just uh, is a miraculous turnabout, if you would. He says, a woman great is your faith. One of the few times a Gentile is actually... Uh, commended for their faith. In fact, it's only the second time that Jesus does this. The other, first time was back in uh, Matthew 8. So he commends her for her faith. All the while, he is uh, chiding the disciples for their lack of faith or the people in the towns that he comes to heal that are Israel or you know the Israelites. Uh, they have rejected him. They have no faith. In fact, he, some of the text tells us that he leaves those towns because no faith was had. Nobody believes. Nobody you know, is inspired or enticed by what Jesus is doing. And so he just simply leaves. This woman, though, is so persistent. She is a demonstration of faith of a person to consist, consistently come after Christ for what she wants. And Jesus commends her for that. Be done as you desire. And her daughter is healed instantly. So a really great conclusion to a story that is often used and manipulated, especially by atheists or people outside of the Christian faith, and even by some of the progressive works uh, that would try to make Jesus not, you know, appear to be perfect. You know, this was a sin that Jesus committed, or you know, Jesus was just like us, or he was, you know, whatever they try to assign to him, they try to make him less than who he was simply by reading this verse out of context. And again, without understanding the cultural context, without understanding the passage and the language being used and how Jesus teaches all the time, we would be left with just absolute despair because we would be trying to just read a passage at face value. And while our immediate form of interpretation is to take the verse at face value, we would be lost without a greater understanding of the text. And if you just read verses 21 through 28 without reading any of the parables or any other times that Jesus is speaking, then you're really going to be doing yourself a disservice. So obviously my advice is to read everything in full context, read everything, you know, in light of the book that you're reading it, take everything that uh, Matthew has written about Jesus and his interactions with people and put that into this text and see, is Jesus acting outside of the norm? Is he acting, you know, in a arrogant or pithy type manner? Or is he simply just making statements, you know, in accordance to his purpose and mission? And I think we should go with the latter because he's driving home this notion that it is not yet his time to go to the Gentile nations. And so, uh, like I said, I really enjoyed preaching the sermon. You can find it on YouTube, or if you really want to watch, you can hit me up and I'll send you a direct link to it. It was probably one of my favorite verses to preach on this year. Um, and I really just, like I said, had a lot of enjoyment from it because it really demonstrates the Christian's 
persistence to pray and to seek after Christ. This woman is a perfect demonstration of that. She continuously hounded Jesus until she got her way. And, you know, I, I say that because what she's asking for is not unbiblical. And what she's asking for is not out of the question. She's asking for her daughter to be healed from the suppression of demons. And so when we take our concerns to Christ, they should be in a biblical construct. They should be something that would fall under the category of daily bread. For instance, you know, if I'm praying to Jesus for a job or I'm praying to him for another job or a better job or something to help me financially, or I'm praying to make ends meet, or I'm praying for a meal to feed my family with, those are things that are falling under the daily bread. And so I want to, you know, take those petitions to Christ and lay them at his feet and continuously come to him looking for a solution and looking for something that's viable um, that he is providing for me. And so this woman is a great example of that. She's persistent and she seeks after the things that uh, she knows are right within her, you know, within a biblical construct. Obviously, there's no Bible at this time, but she knows who this man is and being the son of God, she knows the power that he has and she knows that if she shows him the faith that she has in him, he will heal her daughter. So uh, I'm going to be a little shorter episode this week because uh, I just, I feel like it's a great verse, but there's, I mean, there's, a lot we can hammer on it, but I think we've kind of touched base on quite a bit of it. So uh, we're going to wrap it up there. And as I said at the head of the show there, we kind of just glanced at 29 through 31. And uh, next week we'll finish up chapter 15, looking at verses 32 and on, and the feeding of the 4,000. So again, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. It is Friday, so I hope you guys are in church on Sunday. And... Uh, that's it. So we'll be having communion in our church. So I pray that you have uh, all of the sacraments available to you. We'll have a baptism too at the end of the month. So I'm excited for that. So partake in those. And uh, you guys have a great week. God bless. We'll see you all later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.